everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have attorney Mark Reichel from Sacramento. Welcome, Mark. Welcome, David. Thank you for having me. So, um, interested to know um, how the new DA is doing uh, there from your perspective. Sure. So there's some interesting things. One, you know, Chan is definitely a more moderate prosecutor as far as the law and order world goes than the predecessor, which was Anne-Marie Schubert, a lot more moderate in that way. Nevertheless, he was still backed by all the police unions and backed big time by law enforcement. The alternative was Alana Matthews, which was my candidate that I worked very, very hard for, um, who was a very, very progressive, you know, reform type of DA. Um, But Mr. Ho, you know, had broad support in the law enforcement community. And that's because I think he knew that the the other alternative to the law enforcement, law enforcement didn't have another alternative besides him. Interestingly enough, I think he's now had a couple of prosecutions of police officers and he's made some pretty broad statements about, you know, when a police officer commits a crime, uh, that's he, he's made a pretty strong statement that when a police officer commits a crime, that's a big breach of trust and he's going to prosecute it. Um, that was that was never the case for the last, you know, 20 years in Sacramento at all. I mean, it's been a long time since those words were uttered in the city of Sacramento or county of Sacramento. So he got in. He's definitely changed it. I think his. He gives the D, I think he gives the deputies a lot more free reign in some ways uh, to to make decisions on cases. He is uh, absolutely understands that it's a political job. He's he's out at the fundraisers. He's out in front of the media. He is no fool that you know you 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 know he didn't get hired. He got elected, and he knows that. So he goes to different community organizations, shows up. It's a big production that the DA took time out of his day to be there, and. Um, you know, if you're talking community engagement, it's probably not bad at all. Um, you know, he's, you know, too conservative for me, but, you know, his policies are, are too law and order for me. But, you know, he has, he's a great improvement. Uh, I think Alana Matthews, my candidate, I think would have been even better, but he's been a, you know, good improvement. Uh, it seems the office is just as happy with him. Uh, I think that he shook some things up a little bit, but primarily, uh, he understands it's a political office and you, you know, you have to look around and make sure there aren't enemies within your own office and look for allies. But um, I didn't think that his uh, pot shot to uh, Katie Valenzuela was anything other than politics. I mean, it was, you know, clearly, you know, clearly performative politics. I mean, you can look around the courthouse and it's not an unsafe place. You can look around the courthouse and it doesn't look much different than other areas of Sacramento. 
And, um, you know, I, I have no doubt that some of his deputies may have suffered as the workers for him have suffered like they have, but uh, I guess they've been badgered and harassed by uh, the homeless. But, you know, that's not unique just to that area. I mean, there's a homeless problem in, you know, America. And to, it's, you know, I mean, I don't know what he wants, why he, you know, first of all, he never contacted Katie Valenzuela, the council person from that district before he sent the letter. Uh, and then, you know, he made no outreach to, to talk about it. And he didn't contact anyone else. And so Katie Valenzuela is uh, pretty, pretty helpless to do anything on her own. She's going to need the city attorney. She's going to need the city manager and the rest of the council to help her on the issue of homelessness. Uh, the country hasn't really figured a way to, to solve it. So perhaps she could offer to Mr. You know, Ho that he could come up with his ideas on how to solve homelessness other than to put him in jail or other than to just you know, make them go live elsewhere. They don't have somewhere to go. So, um, you know, that was kind of interesting. That, but on the other hand, uh, we could have had a lot worse uh, from my viewpoint. Again, you know, I'm a reformed progressive uh, supporter of the, those type of policies. So anyway. Um, it, it is interesting that uh, he stuck his neck out on homeless issues. Um, and then the DA over here on the other side of the river, uh, along with your sheriff, uh, Jim Cooper, uh, stuck uh, his neck out on the homeless issue. I don't know if you saw that. No, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Mr. Rising nor Mr. Cooper's letter um, or, or their comments either. I did see Mike Bowman, severe, you know, presiding judge in Sacramento, who wrote a letter to Mayor Steinberg complaining about the homeless problem. Well, the funny thing about, you know, Rising and Cooper's um, op-ed, it was in the B. Oh, um, and, um, you know, they're, they're talking about homeless without talking about the housing crisis. So... How do you solve the homeless yeah. problem without solving housing? Yeah, I did see, I actually did see that. That was beforehand. That was maybe three weeks ago or something. Yeah. I was surprised to see their op-ed. You know, um, you know, it's a community problem. So, we, you know, we may not agree with uh, the approach of, of Rysick and Cooper, but on the other hand, it's a community issue. So uh, requiring a community solution. So, you know, we can hear what they have to say. I think they had a couple of good ideas about the criminal justice system it seemed like, but I don't remember it that clearly. But on the other hand, you're absolutely correct that, you know, look, and the, the great part is locally, I think everyone saw the recent studies out of San Francisco and elsewhere as to the cause of homelessness. Guess what? It's too expensive to not be homeless. So, you know, um, it's expensive to be poor, for God's sake. So, I mean, that study was awesome. And I don't know why it isn't just, you know, required reading from sixth grade on for civics for kids so that everybody, everybody that because homelessness is a big issue. It's what everyone talks about and complains about and talks about or or pains about. You know, there's a lot of large segment of the you know the community that's that it saddens them, and there's a large segment of the community that it bothers them. Nevertheless, it's an issue, and this study was a wonderful and it explained quite basically. It's too expensive to not be homeless. So, you know, if that's the issue, then let's fix that. Let's don't say, oh, it's you know they're mentally ill. They're mentally ill. You know, Reagan uh, cleared out the, you know, mental health, you know, situation, the mental health areas and institutions. And as a result, he's changed with the Latterman Patrick Short Act and LPS. Now we we can't do anything for the mentally ill. And then um, other people, you know, obviously there's a lot of people, oh, they're lazy, they're lazy. You know, look, I just helped a guy the other day that had no left foot in a wheelchair, you know, and I mean, 
he's not lazy okay i mean he is barely alive so there's you know there's not you know it's a wraparound come on man and so I, I did like that study and I didn't see anybody objecting to the data or the conclusions. And, but I didn't see anybody in a position to affect change, waving it to say, Hey, look, someone gave us the answer on what causes it. So it's like, we're trying to cure this illness, but you know, we don't want to know what caused it. That's, you know, that's short-sighted. That's, you know, not very courageous. And that is incredibly common. And that seems to be uh, the American way these days. So do you have an impression of uh, Sheriff Cooper who took over for one of the worst sheriffs in the world? Well, it would be it would be impossible to, to to say that it would be impossible to not say that it's so much, you know, that anything's better than what we had. I mean, this is a guy who said, you know, he didn't know who won the national election. I mean, to, you know, to not say he was completely, you know, a Trump supporter, you know, and the far right in American extremism. I mean, you know, when we have the um, issue of, you know, the far right extremism getting very active in downtown Sacramento, getting active everywhere. And then, you know, the first thing you're going to do is pick up the police and say, oh my gosh, the, you know, neo-Nazis or the KKK or the Proud Boys or White Lives Matter. And, you know, they're harassing me or they did this. Well, it was the sheriff, you know, I mean, if that's, you know, the sheriff wants their support and gets their support, it's like calling Trump to complain about the Proud Boys. So, you know, Jim Cooper is, a, is clearly uh, uh, an upgrade. Uh, you know, anybody, though, that comes into that job, it's an institution that has a long culture of, you know, um, you have to keep the deputies happy or you've got in your ear because it's, again, it's a, it's a elected position, just like TNO. It's not appointed. So, you know, Mr. Cooper knows that very well, that he's got to keep deputies happy. You know, the head of the deputies union, I don't know, what, until 2018 or 19, was that guy who was an open Trumper who used to say racist things on the internet and laugh about, you know, George Floyd. I mean, so, you know, he's head of the, the sheriff's union, the DSA. I mean, try running for office, for any office and having them run an ad against you. You know, the average voter isn't sophisticated enough to realize what that's about and, um, or doesn't follow politics enough. So anyway, that's, uh, I don't really know much about how Mr. Cooper has done since he's got there other than, it's a wholesale improvement. Yeah. Um, so, so what's your take on, um, you know, the prosecution of Donald Trump? Um, you know, um, it was interesting, I think. Um, I wasn't necessarily a believer in the document uh, scandal until I read um basically the affidavit um and then it's like okay yeah the, the, there's a little bit here yeah so i started with the federal public defender in 1990 and then i went in private practice for a little while and i came back to the federal public defender in, in late 1993 and then i left in 05 and then i've spent since 05 you know which is another 18 years now uh, with a very large active federal practice, not just in this district, but, you know, in other districts throughout the nation. And um, I've stood next to people who have gone away for a lot longer time with a lot less evidence against them, them with a lot more now mitigating factors on their behalf, receive a lot less consideration and respect from the federal system, the federal criminal system, which is designed to grab, convict, and send to prison. So, um, 
if you ask me, Trump, you know, regardless of the affidavit, I think he was, you know, from the from the beginning, I mean, it uh, has been dealt with kid gloves. And you have to understand that the way the federal system is set up and you don't just change it, you don't just change the federal system completely because there's a president you don't like as far as the law enforcement system or an ex-president. So my point is in state court, you know, if a cop sees a crime, he kind of writes a report and gives it to the DA and the DA determines what to do. In federal system, the federal system, the agents make the cases. So you can be an AUSA and you're just sitting in your office and when they bring it in, it's a file and it's done. I mean, every hole is made, is filled up. They've, you know, analyzed the elements of the crime they're investigating. They've had six months to work it. They get all the facts that they need. They make memos. They interview people. And the AUSA often has no idea about this, that the AUSA is shorthand for a prosecutor. That means this is the United States attorney. So they bring it into you. And it's really all you have to do is just, you know, sign the indictment that they've drafted when you bring it to the grand, ju grand jury. My point is that the federal agents make everything. So then once the charge is filed, the prosecutor can go back to their office. Case agent goes out and supervises that case and watches that case and is in charge of that case. And if it does go to trial, I mean, they're the ones sitting at counsel table with the prosecutor. They're called the case agent. They're designated to stay in court. They really control everything. They know more about the facts, the content of the case than the prosecutor does. So having that's the federal system. It's, it's, it just doesn't change overnight. That's the federal system. Well, come on. 80% to 90% of all federal agents from 2000 on have been very strong, staunch Republicans. There aren't Democrats. There's a few. I mean, come on. I mean, Secret Service, very Republican. ATF, very DEA, very. Department of Homeland Security, FBI, they're all very conservative Republicans. So I've represented people that are charged with domestic terrorism, like the uh, Earth Liberation Front or some other people. And, you know, when it comes down to they want you to plead guilty, they show you the evidence and they say, hey, ask your client when he uh, stopped at the grapevine down uh, down uh, south of Bakersfield and he pulled in three years ago. Um, you know, we've been watching him, tape recording him, you know, all this stuff. When he pulled into that sandwich place, ask him if he had French fries or salad with the uh, tuna melt. And you'll say, you're kidding me. So I'll ask him, he'll go, I don't know. And then the, the DEA will say, or Homeland Security will say, he had the fries. Here's the receipt. So the point is, is that they know everything. It's called total information awareness. I mean, they do data mining. They do everything to follow who those they consider to be threats to national security. The amount, the ability to, to mine the data, to survey us. There's nowhere to hide, okay? There's nowhere to hide in America if they want to watch you. Beginning in about June of 20, Donald Trump's campaign and the militia, and all these crazy three percenter oath keepers, other blithering idiots, you know, who like to play army on the weekends and run around and pretend like they're, you know, on the way to the donut shop, pretend like they're tough guys who have some weird view that if they think they know what's in the Constitution, they become constitutional scholars. Well, all those guys publicly, as of June of 20, said, if Trump loses, we're going to overtake, we're going we're gonna to throw a violent revolution. I mean, come on. They're, I mean, they didn't say it exactly, but it's like having a New York Times front page ad that if he loses, we're going to overthrow things. And then there's the chatter on Telegram. It's not just hidden. It's it's right in front of our face. They did it on Twitter. They did it on Facebook. They did it on Instagram. They, I mean, they did it everywhere. Okay. And then Trump was saying it. So if you really wanted to investigate these guys and thought, hmm, will this be the first violent insurrection, the first violent attempt to overthrow the United States government? If it was coming from 
if it was coming from Black Lives Matter or the Earth Liberation Front or any, you know, what they consider a terrorist organization or whatever, trust me, they'd have microphones, they'd have bugs in their dishwashers, in their garbage disposals. I mean, they'd know everything about it. These guys did it in front of our face nationwide. Trump then started encouraging him, publicly encouraging him, and they show up and this happens. They try to overthrow the government. I mean, and in the meantime, excuse me, months beforehand, Trump is, people are leaving from defense. People are leaving from Homeland Security and there's not enough time and the Senate can't confirm it. So he appoints acting. Well, some of them are QAnon members. I mean, he's appointing active, you know, acting Department of Homeland Security undersecretary who will sit while the secretary's gone, the defense and all these people, um, um, national security, they're QAnon. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, it's, and then he's going to say, I lost the election, but it's, I didn't lose the election because I was cheated. And, you know, the fact that everything wasn't known. And then that, look, the fact that everything wasn't known is fucking bullshit and it's horrendous. And, and I had to sit there and watch it, having done national security cases and domestic terrorism cases for 30 fucking years, and to watch this shit that they had no idea. What a surprise this is. And we don't know who did this and wonder how they got there, what they do. Come on, they track money everywhere. They track phone calls, text messages, everything. They know everything if they want. So my point is the federal system has all these federal agents that are pretty strong conservatives. They may not support Trump's view of the world, but, you know, that's who they are. All right. And, you know... For this to have watched happened in front of us, and then for months afterwards to figure out, huh, I'm going to find Trump's people were involved in this. Is the you know, I mean, you know, come on, I mean, it's it doesn't get dumber than that. And he's been, I mean, Merrick Garland is probably the reason. I mean, he really came in, and he's you know part of the Federal Society, which that's that's if he's a Federal Society member, I mean, that's the tip, because it's not that it's a political persuasion. It's watch this. It shows you really don't know what you're talking about, but you want to seem smart because the federal society currently is so far removed from the federalists from 1788. It's so far removed, but it sounds intellectual. So everybody wants to be a member of the federalist society. Oh, I'm a member of the federal society. Well, take it from me. They're not federalists. They're big government reactionary white conservatives. And if Garland rolls with those people, it shows to me that, you know, I don't know. I don't think he understands how American Constitution work, the American constitutional system works. Nevertheless, so Garland comes and he doesn't do anything. I've represented people who had less to do with a conspiracy than this, who got sentenced to 20 years on drugs, on RICO, on money, on fraud, on you name it, with less, less, less you know, involvement than Trump has. I mean, come on. And, you know, I mean, and then to keep going and going and going, knowing that, the Republicans are going to take over the House. Everybody knew that. And there's a Republican who may take over the White House. I mean, they're just going to exonerate Trump. So the federal system is run by case agents who are federal agents. And they have amazing power to find everything out about people they don't like. But it seems to me if it's people that are like them, that look like them, that think like them, that are, you know, the, for big government like them, then it's kind of a hands-off affair. And that's what led us where we're at. And the federal system is not going to change just because you have one bad president everybody dislikes. I mean, these are conservative agents. They didn't do anything. They let us almost, you know, get overthrown. And, um, you know, then Garland came in to head them all. And he appoints a special counsel, what, two years, two years after the insurrection? You know, I'm telling you, there's so many federal practitioners like myself who stand in federal court and watch people go to federal prison. 
indicted on conspiracy because there was an agreement to commit an illegally, illegal act. I mean, in a, you could put Trump on the conspiracy to overthrow the government. You could put Trump into that indictment in a week with an intern. So um, what do you think is going to end up happening? You know, I think he's going to be charged in Georgia from the, you know, the tea leaves that you hear in the media. I think he's going to be charged in Georgia. I think he has no case in, in Florida either. I know he's got a friendly judge. I get that part. But I don't, I don't see that, you know, I don't see that carrying the day for him as much as he banked on it. Um, if he's smart, if he's really smart, they're not going to settle that, that Florida case. They're going to go to jury trial and continue it and play with it and try to get one juror in there who's QAnon now because... You know, as Hitler said, you tell the big lie enough, eventually people start believing it. They've got people, good luck in the jury in, in Trump's case, that isn't going to have somebody who thinks, I just don't want to indict, I don't want to convict the former president. And they may think, I want to do the right thing. I know he did a, I know he did a crime, but gosh, the feds are probably going to kill him or give him life imprisonment, which is not true. And so therefore, you know, I don't want to convict him. I just think there's going to be somebody sympathetic in uh, where he's got. So if he's smart, uh, he'll go to trial. Um, as far off as he can. And then if he loses, you know, he's got a hell of an argument in my book. That, hey, look, this happened this many years ago. You know, I'm not going to flee. I'm not going to go anywhere. I stayed on bail. I could have fled before. Keep me out on bail. Then he could tie this case up in the appellate court for two years. And there's a chance at some point that, you know, um, on that case, he may get pardoned or he does not have to serve it because he dies. That's the Florida case. Yeah. So, so you you think it's likely that um, he's never going to go to prison on anything? Yes, I do. Which seems like the most likely outcome anyway. You know, I shouldn't say that. That's a reaction, um, you know, kind of out of frustration. I think there is a chance. I mean, I think that, um, you know, if Jack Smith was doing it right, they could push this case to trial. The government has a speedy trial right. And they could say, look, we've given you everything. You can prepare you know, we're not going to agree to this trial being kicked out any further. At the same time, I think if he's indicted in Georgia, if he's indicted in Georgia, there's a fair argument um, there that they can try to push that to trial. So it's, it's not related to Mar-a-Lago, so, you know, whatever. And he's continuing that case out, so he's free to go speedy trial here. Um, and then I think he may get indicted in, over the uh, insurrection. So if he gets indicted over the insurrection, my prediction would be maybe even as early as March of 24. And at that point, I think you'll have three of them pending, three, you know, criminal pending. And I could see an argument in D.C. for a judge up there to say, look, you know, this is, you know, first of all, the nature of this crime is horrendous. It's, you know, violent overthrow of the government. So number two, it has a presumption. So the charge you have in D.C., is a certain type that has a presumption that you should stay in bail because you're a danger. You're a danger to the community. And then he would go to the D.C. appellate court, which I think would uphold it. And then it's going to make its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And then you're going to watch the watch real interesting things play out because all the judges who appoint he appointed are going to rule, in my opinion, this is in like March of 24, maybe May of 24, are going to rule on whether or not he stays out on bail to fight a, a sedition charge. And if they but say what's no. interesting, though, is the judges have been very conservative on their rulings, but they haven't been very pro-Trump on their rulings. Yeah, no, no, I think he's um, I don't think you're wrong. 
Um, the only thing that changes my mind is um, our friend down there in, my, in the Florida, his judge. I mean, she's that that was wacky. The search warrant ruling she had. I've never heard those of theirs in thirty three years, thirty two years. And then, um, you know, I just worry that she is the one wild card. Um, I agree. I don't think the federal bench is very pro Trump. I think they're happy they got there, but they also may have, you know, the feelings that look, I'm still a rock ribbed Republican. And this guy is bad for the party. And QAnon doesn't scare me because McCarthy, you know, Lindsey Graham, all those guys, Ted Cruz, you know, honest, they all know in their heart of hearts, if Trump had a heart attack today and was no longer with us, when they went to bed at night, they would absolutely smile and say, thank you, God, because <laughs> it's bringing the party down to, you know, it's, and they're afraid of the ramifications from the QAnon, the threats. I mean, another unspoken secret, you know, in America that doesn't make it is the death threats, the violence that everybody who even questions Trump and as a Republican, Liz Cheney's, the Kinzinger's, the people in Congress who are Republicans are Republicans. Their staffers are constantly, constantly subject to death threats. People in the media get the death threats from these, you know, the Proud Boy thing, you know, the right wing nuts, the militia, the uh, White Lives Matter. Um, you know, the Oath Keepers. And as a result, they tailor their public perception. They tailor their votes. They tailor their... They don't agree with some of these policies, but they vote in the House because, you know, the last thing they want to do is have their staffers subject to constant death threats, you know? I mean, Kinziger gets some. Obviously, Liz Cheney does, but they're not the only ones. I mean, you know, like somebody said, AOC gets 50 death threats a day. I mean, so does, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean... They have, it's so, it's so Germany, 1932. I mean, you know, the Brown, they've just used this, this, you know, non-official, extremely unaccountable, you know, non-governmental violent faction in the country to scare the moderate, scare those into acting a certain way. And it, and it works. And Trump knows it works. I mean, he's no fool. By the way, so does the federal government. Like I said, when I started this big, long diatribe, you know, total information awareness. If they wanted to, David, they can tell you, I mean, they can tell you whether you combed your hair with your right or your left hand today, if they really want to. Okay. And then but for do the- do you really believe that? Yes. If they wanted to. Oh, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Absolutely. If they wanted to. I don't, I can guarantee it as a matter of fact, if they wanted to. They can they can do whatever they want to. Um, well, let me ask you if they, if they decide to put a bug in your house without a warrant. Oh my gosh, they can't use that evidence in a criminal trial against you. That's the sanction, right? Oh, yeah. and you could also sue them. You could sue them under Bivens. You could take a Bivens action in federal court for that, right? Well, that's got to be worth what fifteen hundred, twelve hundred. And which lawyer is going to do that for you? They want to be mean. If they want to know everything, they can. Believe me. So as a defense attorney and you watch this Trump kind of play out, what what goes through your head? Are you going through your head like get him or are you going, ah, oh, man, they don't do this to my clients? Okay. When, when I watch the Trump, the this play out, it is like I cannot believe, A, that they're so incompetent they haven't got this guy. Okay. Number one, I cannot believe they haven't indicted this guy, convicted this guy and his minions, all of them, because they commit federal crimes in front of us. They do it on television. I mean, they do it in depositions when they're sued under oath. OK, that's what goes through my mind.
Um, number two is, I wish I was there because I could tell them what a creative defense attorney would try to use to defend that case, to avoid that pitfall, to make sure they don't make the mistakes. Because, you know, the U.S. Attorney's Office are, can be, have some amazing prosecutors, but they're not overly well-trained in what the defense can do. And, you know, the little, you know, the technicalities we have to live on. And so defense lawyers are like, you know, scrappy and creative because they have to be. And they come up with um, ideas outside of the box, as we say, because they have to, because the box ain't work, won't work. But it seems like defense attorneys don't last very long with Trump. Yeah, that is pretty funny. Um, There's obviously he doesn't pay him. Secondly, he's clearly the client. You just have to say what they want to hear. And at some point that gets a little old, but it's also, he's not had quality. I don't care what anybody says. He's not had quality counsel. Rudy Giuliani is a blithering idiot and always has been. Alan Dershowitz, dumber than Rudy, okay? Sydney, whatever her name is, all of these people, they're blithering idiots. And the one he has now, the, the female out of New York or whatever, she's a complete idiot. They're all idiots, but- It's a matter you know, of, um, you know, nobody wants to work for him or he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, uh, Donald? Yeah. Yeah, the, the lawyers that come to him want the money and want the instant fame. Because let's face it, America is a spectacle society. And I mean, if you're in the spectacle that everyone watched, they're gonna remember your name. You know, whether it was good or bad, they're gonna remember your name. Um, you know, you know, it's a draw to power. I mean, this is a former president. And not just the former president, I mean, probably the most well-known name of a former president. And, um, you know, there's nobody of any quality who's gone to work for him. They're, they are, they're, they're idiots. They are. I mean, they really are because there's so many of them because it's just inconsistent. He is a, he is a drive by shooting, you know, of a client. He's just completely uncontrollable. All right. Well, uh, we're out of time. Uh, this has been a fun discussion. We killed a half an hour. Yeah. All you got to do is say, uh, all you got to do is say Donald Trump and I see what happens to me. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Mark. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.